Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. So I have two locations that I'd like for you to find in your Bible. First is Genesis chapter 15. We're going to start at verse 1. We'll do that one first. And then after that, we're going to take a look at a couple of verses in the, in the book of Isaiah. So we'll look at Isaiah 55. So Genesis 15, Isaiah 55, jot those down so you can be ready for it. I, this is a part of a series that I've entitled Ready for the Unknown. Now, the unknown is... It, you know, it's, it's out there for every single one of us. What, what might happen? What's down the road? And, and that's what this series is about. It's about being ready for the unknown. But faith, I'll just tell you right off the, off the bat, faith and belief makes you ready for the unknown. Faith and belief makes you ready for the unknown. And, and the, the trouble with us is every single one of us, we struggle with faith. We struggle with belief to some degree. So we're taking a look at the life of Abraham. And Abraham was a man who believed. He had faith. And he had this faith and belief that actually transformed his life. And the same thing will happen for us. And I believe that when we pray and when we believe God, uh, that miracles will happen. And it also happens as a result of how we treat others. So today's message is entitled, God's Covenant. God's Covenant. It's the second part of my, my series here. I mean, how many times have you wondered if God's actually going to follow through with what he promised? And again, most of us have struggled with that, wondering, God, are you actually going to follow through here? And the truth is, God's timing is not our timing. God's ways are not our ways. He doesn't think like we think. His methods are not like ours, which then causes us sometimes to have what I call a low view, a low view of God. And that's not good. That, that needs to change. Like we sang this song a few minutes ago, great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. Great are you, Lord. And that's really the emphasis of today because God is great and he is powerful and he is active in our lives. But let's take a look back at Abraham. All right, I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 15. Going to look at verse number one. Let's read through this passage of scripture in your Bibles. It says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. Important words. Don't be afraid. I am your shield, your very great reward. I love that. Don't be afraid. Don't have fear. Don't have anxiety. I'm protecting you, and I'm your great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, you have given me no children. So a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is, uh, who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if you can indeed count them. <laughs> and then he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed 
the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. I mean, what an incredible moment that would have been. Uh, I mean, God used this phenomenon of nature that we experience quite often, not too much here in the city, but, but we, we experience it. But he, he used it to declare his power and his majesty and his promise to Abram. Now, Last week, I told you a little bit about uh, some travels that I've taken to the Grand Canyon, and I talked about my trek into the Grand Canyon, and through, throughout the years, as I was reflecting on that, there have been really three spectacular events, I mean, spectacular events where I was just mesmerized by God and the majesty of his creation while, while there at the Grand Canyon. Uh, and, and, and whenever I go, I think I've told you this before, I, I like to go to the Grand Canyon North Rim. Very few people go, maybe. 2% of the people who visit the Grand Canyon actually go to the Grand Canyon North Rim. That's where I like going. And that's about 8,200 feet, and that's where you're camping. The air is kind of thin. You're, you're really on a mountain, although it doesn't look like a mountain, but you're, you're up really, really high. And, uh, and on this particular trip, it was, uh, it was early June. I had one of my sons with me, and the temperature was about 70 degrees in the, uh, in the afternoon. And and we had gone into this this huge lodge. There's this night. This is a very cool 1950s era lodge that sits out, uh, on the Grand Canyon, right at the rim, and uh, and it feels like you're going back in time. But it has these massive windows at the end of the lodge where you look out and you can see into the canyon. And and we were standing there watching it, and I noticed some clouds coming in from the northwest, and these clouds were just like rolling in. I watched it like. That. That, they just this just looks so incredible seeing those clouds roll in but as they began to roll in i watched as they hit the rim of the canyon and as soon as they did these clouds began cascading swirling and cascading straight down so so it was this bank of clouds and all of a sudden they just swirl and start going down it was frightful it was majestic I, I wished, at that point, we didn't have like cell phones that recorded video. I'm just standing there looking at this in amazement. Like I could take a picture, but nobody would see anything like this. I've actually many times gone to the internet and, and run searches to try to see if I can find video of that kind of phenomenon happening. I can't find it anywhere, but I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. And in that moment, I saw, I just felt the grandeur of God, like God and his majesty and seeing this downdraft and all these clouds tumbling into the canyon. And I was thinking, I certainly wouldn't want to be in there right now. Another time when I was on a hike with one of my sons up on the rim of the Grand Canyon, we were on this hike, and we'd been hiking for a few hours. We came to this wonderful place where there are these huge boulders that are sitting right on the rim, and you can sit on these boulders and look out over into the canyon and just see, see everything. Incredible view. And while we were there, I was just sitting there snacking, having our drinks and relaxing, and I noticed something flying. At first, I thought it was a, a, a small airplane or, or, a, or a glider or something. I'm like, what are they doing up there? But they're just kind of going in circles, and it got a little bit closer, and I realized at that moment that I was witnessing a very rare bird. It's actually the largest bird and flying bird in North America, and it's called the California condor. It has a wingspan of 10 feet. This is a massive thing. And 
and it, it sits on the, uh, uh, it, it actually, it doesn't sit, it actually floats on the edge of the canyon because there's an updraft, except when the clouds are pouring in. That's the downdraft. I guess those both things happen. But as, as there's this updraft coming up out of the canyon, the, this, this incredible bird just soars over and floats. And I just, and I was stunned and I told my son, look, we've read about this before as in our preparation for the trip. That's a California condor. We're seeing one in person and very few people actually see these things. So it was a wonderful moment to me because they were actually extinct in the wild about 30 years ago. And now, now they've reintroduced them to some areas around the Grand Canyon because they had some in captivity. We got to see one. It was so cool. But it was, a, it was just an incredible moment of the grandeur of God. Like, God, you are big. God, you are so awesome. And there was another time a third time when I experienced the grandeur of God. And it, it was not on the rim, but it was down in the canyon. And I told you about that, that hike, which was the most physically exerting thing I have ever done in my life. I'll never do it again. But we were on what's called the Clear Creek Trail. And there was this one camping area that we were allowed to camp at. And we were there. We had made it. Uh, it was already dark when we had gotten there. And, and we had made it there. And I just sat there and began to gaze at the stars. I began looking up at the stars. I could see some lights up on the south rim of the canyon. And, and where we were, it was the darkest dark I have ever experienced ever, ever down there in the canyon. It was so dark. And, and I, I, was, I was looking at the beauty of it and you could see the stars like no camping trip I've ever taken. I like to go camping and I like to look at the stars, but I've never seen anything as incredible as the stars that I could see from being in that dark hole of a Grand Canyon and looking up. And I just began looking and looking and looking and enjoying that moment. And, and I kept thinking, oh my goodness, I just wish I I had a telescope because if I would have hiked down here with a telescope, we could just be stargazing all night. It would be so beautiful, so wonderful. I didn't have one. But God's majestic creation is awesome. God is awesome. Awesome, awesome. Now, my son Ian got this for Christmas. Now, when he got this for Christmas, I I was... I felt a little bit of jealousy. I felt like I kind of, I kind of like this thing. I know it's not the maybe the, the highest end one, definitely, but but I I loved it and I've already played with it and he doesn't even know it. And and I and I've tried a couple of times like, hey, let's let's go camping and we'll we'll like go and you know away from the city, far away, and let's gaze at the stars and look at cool stuff through the telescope. And then things came up and I haven't been able to do it yet. But I'm going to do it. And if I don't show up here some Sunday morning, it's because I'm out camping and I'm gazing at stars. But, but I, I love that. I can't wait to get away and to do that and just to look at the stars. And you know what? Abraham had an encounter with God like I just read about where he did some stargazing. And that stargazing altered his life. God told him, I want you to go look at the sky and I want you to start counting the stars if you can actually do so. And then God said, I'm going to give you a promise. You're actually going to have offspring from yourself that's going to look like that. Now, I know the passage that we just read, it's kind of easy to, to, to gloss over it and go right past it and think, well, I, I don't, don't really have much to, to, to say about this because it's just another little story in the Bible. But I want you to understand that what God does is just as significant as what God says. 
In fact, it is really cool. As I began reading this, I saw things I'd never seen before. Because in my imagination, here, having heard this song many times, I thought Abraham kind of went up and he, he was, or he was already sitting outside and he kind of looked up at the stars like, yeah, that's a lot of stars. And God said, yeah, that's going to be your offspring. Like, okay, that's cool. Actually, it wasn't quite like that because he was in, a, he was in this vision. He was, it was almost like a trance that he was in when God was speaking to him. And it says God, God took him. So God transported him out of his tent and put him outside and said, now start counting the stars. Start counting. And, and, it, and I've always thought Abraham just looked up there and went, yeah, right, whatever. But no, there is a gap there. There's a very clear gap there. If you understand the, the, the language, there's a very clear gap there. So he started counting and he counted and he counted and he counted and he counted. I mean, it may have been an all-nighter. I, I don't know. But, but the problem was is that Abraham had his vision impaired by the eight-foot ceiling that was over him. It was tents are not the kind of tents we typically go camping in. This would have been a small home that he would have lived in. And there's this eight-foot ceiling was keeping the promises of God out of sight. And you've heard the old saying, out of sight, out of mind. So just a little question for you. What ceiling is keeping you from believing what ceiling is there? What's keeping you from actually believing? And some of you may actually need to go stargazing to get over it, to get through it. So, again, God transported him outside, told him to count the stars. We don't know how long that took. It could have been an all-nighter. But God used this as an object lesson. And as a result, Abraham would never look at the night sky again the same way. He would never look at it the same way. He would always see it as a promise from God. Nightly reminders. God is big. God is big. God, I, I really believe that God wanted Abraham to get it into his mind how big he was. And basically saying to him, Abraham, I don't ever want you to put an eight foot ceiling on what I can do. There's an author that, that I've loved for so many years. His name is A.W. Tozier. My dad turned me on to him years ago. And he, he said this. He says, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. A low view of God. And he also said, a high view of God is the solution to, to 10,000 temporal problems. The thing is, we tend to reduce God to the size of our biggest problem, our greatest fear, maybe our worst sin, or we reduce him to the size of our very best thought, such as, well, God can help me earn money, but he can't heal my broken heart. Maybe you say, well, God can heal me of a cold, but there's no way he could heal me of cancer. Or even this, God can bring two wonderful people together for a wonderful marriage, but he can't heal my relationship with my daughter. Why on earth do we have such a low view of God? You see, your biggest problem is not really your biggest problem. See, your biggest problem is this, and it's right up there, is you don't believe that God is bigger than your biggest problem. I'll say it again. Your biggest problem is you don't believe that God is bigger than your biggest problem. So what eight-foot ceilings are you staring at? What is your biggest problem? 
biggest problem in your home or your career, your finances, your health, your relationships, your family, your secret life. Hear me well. Stop putting human boundaries on a God who is omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful and omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. You see, Abraham's problem was fear. That's why God said, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be afraid. He had this anxiety. He was just filled with anxiety about the future. And his anxieties was causing him to have a low view of God. And the truth is, if he would have remained there, if he would have remained there with that attitude, he would have been stuck. So Abraham's problem was, was very simple. It was fear. It was fear that his legacy would not be perpetuated. It was fear that, that when I die, it's, it's over with me. Even though God promised me whatever, whatever. This isn't going to work out. You have to understand, Abraham was a really, 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 really old man. Um, he had no children, and, and one of his big fears was that his head employee, or probably like the manager of his estate, this, this guy was going to inherit his estate because he didn't have a son. Even though God had already said, you're going to have a son, to him, Abraham, it looked impossible because too much time had gone by. It just didn't seem practical anymore. He was anxious. He was feeling like everything was out of control, and then he was in his tent one night, and he had a vision. He had this vision and it says right there in the scriptures, we read it together. The word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. Now, I, I, I want you to go back in time with me in your mind because Abraham, he had no Bible. He had no scrolls. He had no writings about God. There were no 10 commandments. There were no churches. There were no preachers. All there were were just these encounters with God, these visions. There were no stories of Bible heroes, nothing. So he had nothing to base any of this on except the supernatural encounter with God. And then God delivered his word to him. In the middle of his fear, right in the middle of his anxiety, God spoke to him and God said, I am your shield. God said, I will protect you. God also said to him, he said, I am your very great reward. Understanding this, God himself is our very great reward. And just like it was for Abraham, maybe it's not a vision right now, but God's word is coming to you today. The word of the Lord is coming to you. And to some of you, he's saying, I will protect you. I don't want you to have this fear. I don't want you to have this anxiety. And God is saying, I am your very great reward. I want you to receive that. And for Abraham, what God said is, you know what? You're going to have this son who is your own flesh and blood. And as I read that over and over, I realized that this was his promise of covenant dominion that was going to happen through his family. God's covenant is established. His, Abraham's own flesh and blood would perpetuate this dominion on the earth that we continue to enjoy today because we're actually the spiritual seed of Abraham. You know, there's, there is nothing more powerful about your own flesh and blood. Really, really. Um, I want to show you a picture here. This is my grandson, Elijah. 
I really love Elijah. Elijah is turning one year old, and he's had his first taste of cake. I know you don't remember your first taste of cake, but it is our tradition here that, that when, a, when a child turns one, you give them a little can, you give them some cake with a candle and hope they don't burn the candle. They can't blow it out anyway. Everybody's taking pictures. They're never going to remember it, but that kid's eating that cake, and all of a sudden, their eyes get big like, this is fun. You let them make a big mess of themselves, and it's great. But he's, he, he's turning one year old, and I want to say, Elijah has a destiny on his life. Now, right now, he's enjoying simply discovering things like cupcakes and toys. But this boy is a perpetuation of my legacy. Elijah is my flesh and blood. He has a destiny on his life. He has a destiny on his life because of God's covenant. And because I, hear me well, God's covenant, and also because I have a covenant relationship with his father, which is my son. Again, there's something very powerful about your own flesh and blood with the covenant relationships that you can pass along to them. Again, today his life is all about food and sleep play, but my legacy is established through him. He is an agent of covenant dominion. And you might say, how do you know that? He's only one. It's because I believe the word of God and I have declared that over him. He is my flesh and blood. You understand that? See, God said to Abraham, your own flesh and blood will be an agent of covenant dominion. And even though Abraham and Sarah were really old, I love it because the scripture says, like we read, Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord. Do you believe the Lord? Do you believe the Lord? Do you? Will you believe? Will you have a high view of God? Even though it just seems like nothing is going right, nothing seems to be even possible at this point. Because if you do, if you adopt this high view of God, there's a reward for you. With Abraham, it says that he credited it to him as righteousness, which is really, ultimately, it is believing in the impossible. Believing in the impossible is righteousness. And as New Covenant believers, we know that Jesus is our righteousness because you look at Jesus like, wow, how did all this happen? How could God come in the flesh? How could God do all of this? Wow, how can a person give his life for me and make my sin go away? That just seems impossible. No, but we receive it by faith. And so we have, we believe in the impossible. Therefore we have righteousness, which is Jesus. We're, you know what? We're a lot like Abraham. We are his spiritual descendants and God has established covenant with us. And it is active right now through Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Now, a lot of Christians are afraid of God abandoning them because of their sin issues. And I touched on this uh, last year, or a couple, uh, last week or a couple weeks ago, but, but God hasn't. God has established this covenant with us. And that's not a word that we use very much anymore uh, because it's a hard word. It's, it's a challenging word, but it's a beautiful word if you really understand it. See, Abraham messed up so many times with his own family. He messed up. He, did, he, he, he made some big, big, big mistakes. I, I love it because earlier, prior to the service, we have what we call congregational pre-service prayer. And uh, <laughs> during that prayer time, 
Lavanda was leading us in prayer, and she was praying about some of Abraham's missteps, some of his misdeeds, some of the stupid, I'm just telling you, this is called stupid things he did, sinful things he did, and God just redeemed that. God turned it around. God didn't abandon him. Now, you see, I have covenant relationship with my wife, Rebecca. I married her, and when I got married to her, the preacher said, you're marrying her for better or for worse. And I said, yeah, okay, all right, all right, all right. Which means we are bound to each other. We're gonna, we will stick it out, whatever it is. And I, I have covenant relationships with my sons. They can mess up, and they have, and they can mess up bad. But I will always love them. I will always be there for them. They are my flesh and blood. You see, I also have covenant relationships with certain others. And when we, when we have these types of covenant relationships, it opens the door for the supernatural work of God to flow through us. Now, I want, I want you to understand this. God does this for us. God gives us a covenant, and it, God doesn't set something up that is contractual. Now, now we understand contracts in this, in this uh, era, in this world, because so much of our life is made up by contracts. Uh, some people see marriage as a contract, but I don't. I see it as a covenant, because a contract says, well, if you make me mad, if you don't fix my meal the way I like it, or you don't come home at this certain time, or if you don't provide this for me, or if you don't do that, then I'm getting rid of you, and I'm going to find somebody better than you so there you know that that's that's how the world does that a lot and some of you have experienced it and you know exactly what i'm talking about that's a contract i'm giving up on you because you didn't hold up your end of the deal but god says no with a covenant it's different it's different and 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 what it means is that god loves us and he will not reject us because we are even, we have the blood of Jesus through us. In fact, we are like the flesh and blood of God. He is not going to reject us. So love is at the center of covenant relationships. See, contractual relationships, they're, they're, they're basically fear-based because you are held in fear and under certain conditions that if you don't do these certain things, it's all gonna be over. For example, I have a contractual relationship with an organization that's a bank because I did something, I did something really interesting. I, I financed a car. I, yeah, I did. I financed a car. There's nothing wrong with financing cars. I'm just, just doing this for theatrical purposes here. But I financed a car, which means that I have to sign a contract with the bank, and this bank, when I signed that contract, they made it clear that if you don't pay money on this car, if you don't pay for it, we're going to come take it back and it's going to be ours. So you better do your part and we'll do our part by letting you have it. Okay. That's, that's a contract. That's a contract. And God doesn't do that to us. He offers us this covenant relationship based on love and initiated by belief, initiated by faith, just like Abraham. And, and, and God expects us to perpetuate this covenant relationship attitude with other people. And I believe, first and foremost, it starts with your spouse. It does. And I, I, I'm not teaching on divorce today, but I've given teaching on that before of why, why God doesn't like divorce. I know the, the world says, well, your Bible says God hates divorce. Well, he does. I mean, who, who likes it? Who likes it? 
Oh, well, you're right. Okay, then why is God not going to like it? He hates divorce, but it says the reason he does, he hates divorce is because he wants this righteous seed. He wants godly children. He wants to have, he wants us to have children that are going to fear the Lord. And when families break up and disintegrate, it hurts and it hurts the kids more than anything else. And some of you are children of divorced families, so you understand that. You know what I'm talking about. So that's why I want to start off by saying the covenants begin with our spouses, and I believe that they extend to our other flesh and blood, to our children, and, and it continues and it perpetuates, and then we can also be selective and have covenant relationships with other people. Because a covenant relationship is beautiful. That's actually where I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to cover you, and I'm going to celebrate you. I'm going to love you conditional because it's a. Uh, I'm going to love you unconditionally because it's a covenant. I'm not going to love you with certain conditions attached to it because that's a contract. Now, on the other hand, we violate, as humans, we violate God's covenant all the time. But God does not toss us out of his household as a result of that because we have this love relationship with him. He loves us. We love him. And that love relationship is not a contract. That love relationship is a covenant. And God doesn't say, well, I'm going to love you and I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to answer your prayers as long as everything stays fun and you make me happy and you don't do stupid things. You know, as long as you do all these things, it's going to work out. No, God says, my covenant is my covenant and my covenant. You see it all through the Bible. God's people mess up, but God stays true to his covenant. He's not going to give up. Isaiah chapter 61 has a beautiful scripture. I just want to read it to you. It's here on the screens. It, it talks about the covenant benefits of God. It says, their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. See, your children and your grandchildren will be known. This is a promise of of positions of authority and influence. But how in the world does this work? How can God do this? And how can we follow God's example with those types of relationships ourselves? Well, I asked you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter number 55, verse 8. Now I want you to look there. Look at this. Because God explains it here. He explains this through the prophet Isaiah. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, God is comparing his thoughts to our thoughts to the expanse of the universe. Now, I want to give you some perspective on this. This is one of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible. I discovered this when I was a child, when I had a Sunday school teacher explaining it, and my imagination just went crazy. Now as an adult, because I'm just a little more educated than I was when I was a child, my imagination runs wild with this. I want to tell you where my imagination ran when I was thinking about this scripture and this sermon. So, first of all, light. It travels at the speed of 186,000 thousand miles per second, right? We learned that in junior high. So basically in the time that it takes to snap your fingers, light has circumnavigated uh, the globe like six times and that's faster than fast. Our sun is 93 million miles away. That's a long ways. And calculated this, if you were to get in your car 
if, if this were possible, if you were to get in your car and say, I'm going to drive to the sun, and you get in and you start driving 65 miles per hour, and you drive 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it would take you 163 years to get to the sun. But on the other hand, the sunlight that we receive right here that you felt outdoors yesterday, not today, that sunlight is only eight minutes old. That's fast. And our sun is the nearest star in the galaxy. Now, astrophysicists, they have discovered galaxies that are 13.7 billion miles away. I, okay, I, now I know you're going, okay, that, that's, that's, that's way too far. I can't even understand it. Well, you need to, because this is what God was talking to Abraham about. So, so basically, you do the math. So if you do some math, one light year, which is 5.88 trillion miles. Uh, so the nearest galaxy is 13.7 billion times 5.88 trillion miles away. That means that that nearest galaxy is actually 86 trillion miles away. You can't comprehend it. And that's the beauty of it. And that's what God wants us to see. And no, you, you can't comprehend this. And God says, this is the distance between my thoughts and the way that you think. See, our best thoughts on our best day about God fall about 13.7 billion light years short of how great and how good our God really is. You see, we, get this, we underestimate God because we keep a little ceiling over our head. We underestimate God by 13.7 billion light years. Or to rephrase, here it is. God is 13.7 billion light years greater than your imagination of him. Imagine. See, that's why I want to go stargazing. And he has established a covenant relationship with little us. And therefore, we have this love relationship with God. And now we have entered into this realm of infinite possibilities, which gives me a good reason to memorize this scripture. And you should memorize this as well. When I had young children, this is one of the first scriptures they memorized. And here it is. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you do it? Through Christ. And what's he going to do? He's going to strengthen you. Maybe it's time we start doing a little more stargazing. Maybe it's time that we adopt this high view of God. Maybe it's time for us to actually really believe what we're preaching about. Romans chapter four, verse 19 gives us another glimpse into what was happening with Abraham. And I want you to look at this because this is beautiful. It says, against all hope, <laughs> meaning there isn't much hope. Abraham in hope believed. I, I, I love breaking this down word by word. I'm not going to take you through the, the, the painstaking agony that I go through in studying this, but I love this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Now, because he believed, look at what it says. There's a cause and effect here. He believed. Now, why did he believe? Well, it goes back to the tent. It goes back to him looking at the stars. He believed and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he, get that, without weakening in his faith, he's not gonna just, it wasn't a burst of faith in the moment. 
without weakening in his faith. He faced the fact. You see, sometimes, I'll just pause right here. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just gonna ignore the facts of this, this situation because I just, I'm not gonna look at that. That's gonna hurt my faith. No, it's just he faced the facts. I'm gonna face my facts right here. It says he faced the fact that his body was good as dead. <laughs> and then he was old. He was old. He, he faced the fact, you know what? My body is good as dead since he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. She can't have no baby. This is, this is crazy. Oh, I love this. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But instead, what was it? What happened? He was strengthened in his faith. Keep going, because this isn't over with. And he gave glory to God. Now, hold on. He's giving glory and praise and honor to God. God hasn't made the baby yet. I mean, there is no baby. There is nothing happening here, but he's believing by faith and he's worshiping, giving glory to God. Oh, this is good, guys. Remember, we're like Abraham, so let's be like this also. Being, and he gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And it was this is why it was credited to him as righteousness. See, a lack of belief is the only thing that's holding you back, my friend. I want you to pray huge prayers. I want you to believe for the unbelievable. Do not waver through unbelief. Be strengthened in your faith. Give glory to God before the miracle, before the miracle. Be fully persuaded that God has the power that he promised. Y'all need to do, let's all do some stargazing. God will come through for you. But I also ask you to follow his example because the story doesn't just stand like, okay, God's gonna do good things to me. No, he, he also says, follow my example. So keep worshiping, keep believing. He established his covenant with you. Okay, now based upon what I've said today so far, how is this gonna change how you pray? How will it change? How will it change how you worship? How will you let this change the way you're treating your spouse? How will you let this impact how you model Christ to your children and you model covenant to your children? How will you let this impact godly covenant relationships? How will you let this change your view of God? Do some stargazing. I'll tell you this much. You can trust God's covenant. It's based on love, and that is not going to quit. So yeah, I want us to pray big prayers, but I also want to ask you this question. Will you be an extension and an example of God's covenant? Will you do that? Will you actually live this out? And now I want us to pray for miracles. I want us to pray for miracles in this room. We're going to have a two-fold prayer. I want us to pray for miracles, big miracles, massive miracles, and you know the massive miracles you need. You know what they are. And then I'm going to pray that God will not only give the miracles, but that God, that, but that we will release the love of God through our covenant relationships as well, that we're not going to have any more contracts. We're going to start having covenant relationships, and then we're going to worship God. And you might say, but how can I worship God? Because nothing has changed around me. Abraham did. He honored God. He worshiped worshiped God. He gave glory to God just because he had faith, unwavering faith to believe. 
that the best really was yet to come. Will you stand all across this room? I want us to pray right now. I want us to pray right now. I want us to pray big prayers, and I want you to get a prayer get a prayer on your heart. What is that big prayer for Abraham? I want a son. I want a son. I want that son. I need a son, God. God, give me a son. And, God, and it took 10, 20, 25 years before he saw that happen, but he kept praying, and I want you to pray and believe for big things. What is that huge, big prayer? What is that huge thing that you don't know? Is this possible? Well, I'm saying get out from underneath that eight-foot ceiling. Start doing some stargazing and realize that God is really, 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 really awesome and really big, and he will follow through because he has a covenant with you. I want us to pray right now. Come on, pray. Just begin to pray. You're going to have to pray your own words because I don't know your prayers. Jesus, if you don't know how to pray, just say, God, this is what I need. God, this is this is the miracle that I need right now. God, come on. Come on, God. God, I need you. I need you. I need this miracle. God, God, this is what I believe you promised. And Lord, I'm going to stand in faith. I'm not going to waver. I'm not going to have unbelief. I'm going to keep on going. I'm going to keep that smile on my face. I'm going to keep my eyes lifted up. I'm going to keep doing some stargazing. And I'm going to remember that you are almighty. You can do anything. You can do anything. And I thank you for it, Jesus. I thank you for it, Jesus. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, that your ways are higher than ours, that your thoughts are higher than ours. You think you operate on a completely different plane. So God, help us to be in connected to that, even though we don't understand it. By faith, we're connected to that. And God, we believe. Come on, pray for those miracles. Pray some big prayers in this room right now. Let this be a house of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. I want you to pray. I want you to believe God for miracles. If you're watching online, I want you to pray and believe God for massive miracles. Massive, big, big, big prayers. Big prayers. Big prayers. Big prayers. Big prayers. And God, I thank you, Lord, that you not only answer our prayers, but you give us covenant so that we can also have covenant love for others. God, I pray that we will be people that will truly release the love of God. Truly release the love of God. I pray for it for marriages. God, I pray that marriages will be healed in Jesus' name. Marriages are healed because of covenant power falling into those marriage relationships where the husband's not going to walk out. The wife's not going to walk out. They're going to say, we're going to stick together. Yeah, this has been a terrible situation. Yeah, this isn't what I expected, but I'm going to stick with you. And I tell you what, watch God do miracles in homes. Watch God do miracles in families and with children, with your children. I just pray, pray. Come on, pray right now for your children. If you have children, pray for them. If you have grandchildren, pray for them right now. Oh God, I pray that our love will abound toward our children and grandchildren the same way that that covenant love that you have for us is. They are our flesh and blood, God. God, I pray that they'll be blessed, that there will be there will be this, this, this blessing of God that will be perpetuated generation after generation. Lord, as we, as we spoke earlier and as we prayed earlier, God, God, that you will do this. You will do this. Our descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids will know that they are a people blessed by the Lord because of the covenant relationship that we have in Jesus' name. Bless through us. Bless through us in Jesus' name. Bless through it in Jesus' name. 
Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.